I mean, that's just like the rules of feminism. Hello, fellow feminist cinephiles. This is the Rules of Feminism, reasonably live from Berlin Feminist Film Week, sharing conversations on film, on feminism, and on the festivals that work to support both. This is day day three, episode three, and our form is a little bit different. We're changing it up, um, changing it up from what we've all become so used to after two episodes of this podcast, but I'm not going to apologize for this because I had a great time and I think you'll have a great time too. It's on forging identity through feminist film and this episode we chat with Chet Pancake, director of Queer Genius, a film that follows the lives of five queer female artists through the most beautifully intimate portraits. Um, You must see this film. They've told us that it'll be at a number of different festivals across Europe, so look out for it. Or make a plan to follow it from festival to festival. That's a cool idea. I could document it with this microphone. Turn it into some form of sound art. Just throwing it out there. And fresh format, we also have a um, a recorded piece from our Q&A that took place after No Box For Me, an intersex story, discussing the rights and the lives of intersex people in Europe. It was really informative and impactful, and I hope you find it so as well. So, without further ado... All right, so let's just jump right in. We're here with filmmaker Chet Pancake. Um, just watched their phenomenal film, Queer Genius. Thank you for that. Um, thank you. It's great to be here. It's great to meet you guys, and I, I, I love I love Germany so far. Nice. Me as well. I'm fresh to Germany, so we both have that in common. Um, so these figures that you highlighted in your film. What do they mean to you on a personal level and, and for your work? Um, you know, each of the subjects are people that, um, you know, during my own curating and organizing and just being an audience member, um, left out to me as being extremely special and to be resonated um, with the word, you know, the kind of vernacular word genius, like, oh, that's genius. What they're <laughs> Like when I saw Jibs, I was like, oh, God, I've never seen anything like that before. That the way that the person's, you know, dealing with the lesbian culture and, 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 and sort of the abject and, and, and her physical comedy and where'd that come from. Um, and through the film, I mean, each of them has like, their work resonates with me and has sustained me and inspired me. And through the film, getting to know them as people, it just, re, it just validated my feelings about their integrity. All of these artists have such integrity. I mean, all of them are so easy to deal with and generous and believed in like the mission of the, of the film. And these are people, and I've been in the art world for a while, and I've seen a lot of crazy things. And I have to tell you that um, their integrity was extremely ins- inspiring to me. None of them are getting things over on people or asking more for more than their share or they're just working really hard and um yeah I thought that was like it just validated my my liking them as people and even more so like the integrity in their practice and their and their d- discipline and dedication to their practice super inspiring mm-hmm. 
And kind of on the same topic, we've been asking a lot of the audience members mm -hmm. if there's a film um, that they really remember from growing up or from more recent, mm -hmm. uh, within which they really felt represented or they really identified mm -hmm. with that work. Um, is, there, is there a film that jumps out for you, either within the repertoire of the people that you presented on the screen in Queer Genius or otherwise? Um, I think that's a really good question. I mean, there's so, I mean, I'm a cinephile. I've been a cinephile since my early 20s. Uh, really came of age during like indie cinema of the 90s um, uh, you know and for me it was sort of like just trying to piece together like from Boys Don't Cry <laughs> to Go Fish and and then I was also really involved with films like Holy Mountain and Mysteries of the Organism you know and I, I was really really consumed like the vast gamut of alternative cinema and art cinema like I love all those things um, um, I like Errol Morris. I like Cheap, cheap Fast and Out of Control I liked, and I kind of was conceiving of this originally as sort of like a Cheap Fast and Out of Control, but for women. Like, I'm sort of like, I love hearing the contents of people's minds. There's a great, also a great film called Step Across the Border. Um, just sort of alternative cinema, but never really seeing, like, my idols or my heroes. So I would see them live doing performance, and I thought if I ever got, like, some money, I would reify them in cinema because they're so rarely reified that way so um yeah i mean all of the kind of um you know uh, greats of alternative cinema I, I i love and respect um and i could go on and on about that but but in general it's sort of um a film about queer women or, or lesbian culture that had to do with the contents of one's mind and one's philosophy was you know kind of where i was going so you went there and <laughs> and you've also just given us a lot to research in the films that you've uh, you've presented now for a rules of feminism classic musical interlude into our audience input on this topic is there a film that you can remember from growing up or from more recent days that you really felt represented in or you really identified with the storyline or identified with the characters? Yeah, it's also a Disney film, <laughs> uh, Mulan. Because Mulan was the fir first female figure that is female and has an Asian background. Um, I always watched uh, films with white uh, yeah, female characters, and Mulan was the first one, and she's so badass, so. Mulan, she's amazing. <laughs> Actually, I remember that I love Mulan. Um, time somebody said Mulan. This is three times on Mulan. So Mulan it is then. <laughs> That's the theme. Yeah, because Mulan is such a strong person. She just really decides to, I don't know, to go on an adventure, and also she's like, this kind of gender fluid person but in a really interesting way because she just tries out different genders somehow. Uh, she was like the only cool woman. Can it be a Disney series? Well then it would be Hannah Montana I guess. <laughs> Why? Uh, I don't know. I think she's really cool. She does her thing. Um, I mean of course it's also problematic um, looking back at it now but when I was younger, I definitely felt empowered by her. Okay, I, I am a gay man, and I think, I don't know, I remember this threesome. It's like this, they are the three, they are in the university, and they have like this uh, triangle relationship, and the guy, there's this gay guy that is attracted for, 
the straight guy and there's this conflict. Yeah, I think maybe I would say like as a gay man that I saw. I guess uh, Jean Dielman from Chantal Ackermann, um, yeah, which is like kind of shows the, yeah, uh, or depicts like a, a, like a housewife that is like so entangled within her daily life that she like freaks out by like routinely doing like all this stuff and goes like crazy within it and I think it's just like yeah the representation of like the role is just like although the movie is quite old it can like there can be like a lot of connections drawn to yeah two days so yeah depiction of like a um, role of woman. I haven't um fully identified with the film personally but I think you can take bits and parts out of different characters um, because obviously every person has a different background in so many different levels so yeah there are certain things you might identify with but you would probably have to write your own story to fully identify. Honestly no <laughs> and um, that's again like it's not a difficult thing to achieve but still like no I haven't really felt that way. We watch the series right now, you, me and her. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, it's about a polyamorous uh, tri triple couple and there's uh, two, two females, one guy and yeah, kind of same story, I guess. Like, yeah. not sim yeah, similar, like, yeah. So, yeah, it's also a bit like from the LGBT kind of background, yeah. I would say the same. <laughs> I don't know, like recently, for instance, I was watching it, we were watching a film, a Spanish film, uh, where two, two gypsy teenagers, they fall in love, uh, they, are, they are lesbians, and that's a very touchy issue in the gypsy culture in Spain, and I'm not a gypsy, I'm not a female, uh, or I don't I identify as such. You're rooting for them, it's like, you don't really, you, you're not that person, but you're like, wow. If I weren't in your feed, it, that must be so difficult. So you're like, come on, go for it. Yeah, you know, it's more about like, okay, I wouldn't, have, I didn't know what to expect out of that, but I could find points where I was like, I empathize with you, and I, I sort of, you make me feel what you are feeling there. It's called Carmen y Lola. It's a, um, yeah, and in that case, it is actually a feminist film because the director is feminist. She isn't part of the gypsy community, but she made sure that the right people were inc included so that it could actually represent correctly what it is to be not even a lesbian in that community, but like a woman in that community. And Yeah, there's a television show called The Ball Type in which uh, three women who just um, make their way to the top and just there are so many topics who they talk about and it's just really really great I love it thinking back to Francis Ha probably and I'm thinking back to Booksmart I think those are the two that pop to my in my head Bend it like Beckham because uh, the girl is uh, Daisy and uh, Gurinder Chada is the director so she's a woman and she, I mean I'm not sporty or anything but I saw that film and I was like oh it's a brown woman on TV and I don't really watch Bollywood films, so that was the first time I'd seen like a British brown person on screen. I was on a plane recently, and they had it in the classics section. Absolutely. Hi. I hope that I feel represented with this one. <laughs> Please stand by for the next 
for further details, we return you now to your regularly scheduled program. So how much of your art um, feels like it's for yourself and is it for your own identity and forging your own identity and how much do you feel that it's for a community and for the people around you um, who you feel need it or the, yeah. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot actually. I mean, you know, I could, this is a longer conversation, but in, I mean, in, we can have it. That's fine. I'm here. You, you edit it out. I mean, I, I recently, around the time that my father died and Barbara Hammer was, and you know, having her issues, I started doing a lot of somatic therapy, and through that somatic therapy, I realized that my bodily, my my embodied experience is a trans experience, and that, and so, given being given permission and being at the point of like embracing my peaceful body, I'll call it, um, and that body is a transmasculine body. However. I would say my queer female body has been one that has been much more radical and sort of embattled and pushing. And I did experience trauma as a child and I was, there's a great book out now called um, um, The Body Keeps the Score. But people who experience trauma, women, queer people, people of color, there is a tendency to, there is, I mean, they, they just don't like narratives that much because the narratives just aren't, don't feel real to us because our life doesn't work out like a narrative. Like the heroic narrative doesn't apply to us. So we find all these kind of other kind of ways. So I think that um, for me, kind of understanding my given sort of gender and my pride and my excitement about like what I did with that in terms of I did make a lot of work for other people I would be outraged by things I want to fix things I want to explore things I'd want to like push the envelope on things um I was much more um I made a film about an, an environmentally um conscious film that created fights in parking lots called Black Diamonds in which there were like you know, uh, editorials written against me. Um, I went to, it, you know, there was shouting matches in the Q and A's. You know, it was a it was a very critical of the coal industry where where I'm from. So so it's interesting this idea. And and now since I've had this kind of experience of finding my peaceful body, I've been thinking more about narrative cinema because I feel like I w- avoided sort of a lot of the strategies of narrative cinema because you, it actually requires you to be really embodied um, and be kind of have mastery um, and feel comfortable with emotional intimacy with your actors, which I think that's, if you're a person who is in an oppressed situation or in a situation that's experienced trauma, then that's hard to do. I, I can't really explain it, but I've been thinking a lot about that. And so I've been pushing myself in this new kind of, I do a lot of meditation and <laughs> I do like all my self-care. Um, I'm also a parent. I give a lot of energy to my child and my child, I have to be kind of healthy for my child. And in that state, I've been able to really think about manipulating um, and using the language of narrative cinema a bit more toward my own ends. Um, And I've been less interested. I do make video art, and I make it for different reasons. Um, But I have started to to feel like um, I wonder about embodiment um, uh, health practices and female filmmakers and if that would be also a, help, a helpful way to think about moving into like more broad storytelling. I don't know if this makes sense, but to me it's sort of a path that like I, I think, like I had no interest in that, although I loved narrative cinema, but now I feel like I'm, I'm moving toward, um, and I've been taking this class with Julia uh, Sol- Solomonoff, 
Um, and she's an incredible narrative director. Anyway, so I think I'm doing more for myself now, I guess is the short answer. Um, and interestingly, that's coming more in the language of uh, traditional cinema. So we'll see what happens with that. But. And how much of, of that that you're creating, the work that you're creating, then helps you to forge your identity? Or how much is it a documentary of it in, in some ways? Um, I feel like it's, I feel like there are documents of my ideas um, and, my, and my interests um, in, um, in the subjects that I talk about because I feel like they had things to say that were relevant to my life and also that were relevant in resisting the horrors of capitalism or the horrors of like, you know, misogyny or, or, or the things that we kind of live with and deal with every day, you know, just like these forms of like just personal resistance. Um, and again, like I've done a lot of work with natural gas fracking. I've also done a lot of um, kind of ecological work. Um, like I did a, I just did a, a video art piece that I'm now working on a book chapter of queer and trans tree sitters, arboreal blockaders in, in Virginia. So I went down, yeah, I went down to like meet up do it in this tree sitting camp and it turned out there are a lot of queer people there. So I just interviewed them about their bodies. Like you're moving your bodies into the line of fire, you know, as a trans and queer person, like what does that mean? You know what I mean? Or how do you feel? And a lot of people could only feel calm when they were in the moment of co- conflict. Like when the, the, the chainsaws were coming, they felt very peaceful. They could only feel peaceful when they were at that moment of literal physical pushback. You know what I mean? So I think there's just a lot more to be explored there. Um, so I think that I'm, I am, you know, I haven't made that much like super personal work, but I may make more of that. I've just felt a lot like I, need, I was needed other places, I guess. Um, so. Yeah, in creating spaces and platforms as well yeah, for other yeah, and having to create the whole context for people and yourself. <laughs> and I took that on for sure. And it's important. It's what you guys are doing. Like you're, you have to create the space. You really do. And it's a magical space. You can't get this from like the Sony Corporation sponsorship. You know, you can only get it from each other. You know what I mean? I, I cherish that. A bunch of volunteers. But yeah, I, I mean, seriously, I, almost every transformative experience I've had in art is from like in a small black box theater um, or in a gallery curated by a, a group of volunteers. You know what I mean? Like those have been, that's been my church. That's been my spiritual house, you know. Great. And I guess my other question would be how, yeah, what does that platform mean to your work? Like why do spaces like Berlin Feminist Film Week and, and other um, platforms matter and why um, what does it add to your work as well? Um, well my work wouldn't exist without these kind of platforms because I didn't go to art school I went to school for psychology and I can tell <laughs> the way that you I did social work for seven years then I worked in the tech industry but um, um so my and I and, like and came up in Baltimore. I, I went from I, I came from West Virginia in the middle of nowhere to Baltimore, Maryland, where I met like a group of artists who were um, resistant, independent artists who formed collectives, did not accept grant money. Number one, because there's not that much there, you know. But some of them just weren't interested in that. And I learned how to be an artist from um, people like my first film I made. I made it because my friend said, "Just make whatever, and I'm going to screen it at the cabaret." You know, my friend Larger Ghoul. And so I did, and that was the beginning of it. And then every time I'd make a film, there was no curation, there was no jumping through hoops, there was no judgment. Uh, she just would put it up, you know. And then I'd have to like 
after a while she was like, well, I think that going to art school would help you because then you take critique better. <laughs> like there's a critique process. And I was like, oh, I was just sort of like, no. <laughs> people were just sort of like, right? <laughs> now people are just sort of like, you know, saying terrible things or wonderful things. And I didn't have like a lot of the um, formal training to deal with that, but it was a great trial by fire, you know, and I learned to stand up for like um, bad work and be like, yeah, maybe it's bad, but like the next one will be better, you know? And I so, so painful and I see kids paying a lot of money for art school and trying to go to New York and nobody's giving them that. You should, you're all of your 20s should be play. It should be play, seriously, it should be play. Everybody who's famous, like, all the famous people, they played in their 20s. You know, they didn't, they didn't like, have to work six jobs and a bunch of school debts, you know? So I feel sad for my students sometimes because I had that. I had, like, 10 years of nobody told me I did whatever I wanted. And then I decided to, I wanted to make money a little bit and <laughs> reach more people. But, <laughs> yeah, so the treasure these environments are very nurturing. Well, that's a great way to end. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for speaking with us and for sharing your film and your art and, and for creating spaces for others as well. Oh, so. Sure. Thank you. I like my crazy long answer. I was really being personal with you. You really got a lot of I like that. Wow. I'm talking to my Zoom Yeah. Do you? Yeah, I keep a journal. This is something I should try. Well, you can get the plug-in for Premiere now. It's like really cheap to get the transcripts. It's called, um, what's it I'm called? not as technical. I <laughs> literally just throw yeah. this onto Adobe and see what happens. <laughs> no, I'm really into it now because well, I'm, I'm transitioning. So my, I'm going to actually start doing an actual transition next week. So I'm really, and I want to, I want to retain, I'm, reta- I'm not, I'm retaining both. I'm like, I can't, if I could do it, I would be like male. I'd be, I'd be like back and forth, mm-hmm. but we don't have the technology for that yet. So I have to do it in like two halves. So I'm going to do the second half. Yeah. But I want to retain. I don't know. Yeah. This is my feeling about it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm trying to. I'm trying to store. Make like get my my my. Yeah. I got to get my voice archived. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. So I'm trying to. My friend actually encouraged me to do it. He was like, he was like, I didn't. I was so alone when I transitioned, and I didn't do any of that. And he's like, you just got to document it. It's like just you just do it. And I was like, I was like, oh, I don't really like to take pictures of myself. And he's like, no, no, no. You just start today. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't speak into the microphone. Thinking. I mean, I don't know. I, I, it would be like really a personal, much more personal than my than my normal things. Um, but yeah, it's probably gonna come out. It's probably gonna, I don't know VR. I think. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm all into VR now. <laughs> but I also want to like. I don't believe in. I for me, I, to articulate my transition is is. I just get very sad when people are. I don't know. For me, I. Like there was a film this morning, and he was just like. That was a shadow of who I was, and I was like, for me, it's not really that way. Like, I don't feel like this is a shadow of like what I'll be on the other side, and I don't like, if, like on YouTube, it's sort of like, oh, there's sort of this abject like masculine woman, and then then you're like this dude, and like you know, yeah. yay, and I'm just I, there's narratives I can't. Yeah. I, I had a friend who to transitioned like that, and I literally put off my transition for like five years because I was so horrified about this grabbing of this power. I, mean, I was just like, this is against everything that I believe in. I guess that's like a really patriarch or. Well, it's just sort of like, like one it's categorical thinking or human thinking, human thinking. You know what I mean? If somebody gives you a million dollars, you're like, thank God I'm a millionaire. Mm-hmm. And if somebody hands you a male body and you're like, thank God, you know what I mean? Like I can get out of this other situation that's been so painful for me. Number one. And number two, like your employment rate increases and you get treated with a lot more respect. And it's that's that's news you can use. Right. That's news you can use from mass from trans guys. Like, yes, 
I, I'm not treated like shit anymore. You know what I mean? Like to me, that's so so amazing, but also like so horrifying. But anyway, so yeah, so it's just sort of negotiating. Um, so I will probably do some work about that, just because I want to articulate my position on that a bit more. Um, and um, yeah. And you'll put the voice clips on our social media for sound, which <laughs> yes, we're developing. Yes, yes. You find the venture capital yeah. and just give me a whole, give me a call. Perfect. Thank you so yeah, much. Thank you for doing the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great. So Noah, and you've seen this film before, but I still wanted to um, ask both of you: How do you think that the uh, experiences in the film kind of resonate with your own maybe experiences and your experience from your activism um, and what are your thoughts about it? Alright, um, first of all thanks again for the invitation, thanks a lot for having me and having us. Um, I'm honestly very excited that there's so many people in this room right now and so many people seeing um, this movie and now listening to this discussion, I think it's so important, I think it's not happening enough. Um, and in regards to the movie, um, I'm, I couldn't be more thankful for people like Audrey participating in projects like that. Um, in mediums that can be spread widely, you know, it's just not one person seeing it in a discussion, or it's not just like one room full of people, but something that can be shared over and over again. I think it's very, it's such a treasure. And it's such hard work to share personal stories now. I think many, many intersex people know <laughs> that kind of struggling, having to share their stories over and over again. And you kind of like in this limbo of like on one hand, for sure, you want to have the visibility and the awareness. And um, even though sometimes you might not even want the visibility for yourself, but you want it to have for the structures that do um, marginalize intersex people and that do violate um, human rights of intersex people. Um, but then again, what you need to do, what you feel like you need to do, is sharing the story over and over again. Um, and it's just really, really, really exhausting. And yeah, I think from the work I've been doing so far, and my experience in Austria, where I've been working before, and now in Berlin, um, does resonate very much with what's been said. And, um, shown in the movie, like many people do take quite some time until they even find language or if they, um, until they've been given any kind of chance to find language for <laughs> themselves and their body that is not pathologizing, that is not the medical language, um, that is actually respectful and also um, until they got a chance to find other people who are share experience, um, who have um, yeah, similar kind of stories to tell and oftentimes it takes quite some time, like most people who will contact us or take part in our community um, work office are adult people, like it's barely, barely anyone under 20, under 25, it's not so many people, yeah. Um, what comes to my mind is that um, <clears throat> I'm a little bit older you guys and um, turning 50 next week um, and uh, when I found out that I'm intersex it was uh, 1999 that was the year the matrix uh, was in the movies <laughs> and that movie resonated with me because I realized at the same time you know that, that what intersex means and uh, that this is me and I felt like I was just <laughs> kicked out of the matrix, or I could see and everyone was sleeping. But, um, but what was shocking to me actually when I s saw this movie the first time, 
um, or even also um, parallel, like meeting them when they were then activists, and we we met. Um, I met uh, most of them um, during the um, community event in in Copenhagen two years ago, I think, and. I, I got this realization that um, what happened to them happened at the moment where I already was an activist, when I already was speaking up, when I had all this process already done with myself and found um, back in uh, 2000, I met Michael Reiter, the, the first uh, intersex activist here in Germany who spoke up on, um, on these um, uh, human rights violations. And um, that, that was a hard that was a hard moment for me to realize that back then those were children and yeah so that was a that was a tough tough one to get my head around really to just like now it's the next generation coming in being activists and um, yeah I think I, um, what you said um, that for for. You three uh, in this movie, it was it was a process to I guess um, from from this very personalized uh, internalized uh, um, situation, and and this movie turned you into activists basically basically, and for for all these people who who are out um, now, there are so many others who are not able yet to come out or even don't know yet that they're intersex. That they cannot connect uh, um, the experiences they had with with uh, terminologies, with 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 non-pathologizing information, which is still, you know, I mean, this is what we're doing, like uh, with our organizations and everything. But this is still very, very rare, very difficult, uh, I think, for many people. Yeah, and um, we were talking um, a little bit before the film about the situation, how much visibility do intersex people actually have in media or films and you're saying the situation is really bad. Can you talk a bit about how, is there, are there any good examples and like what does visibility in media or in film for example mean? Um, um, I have a very recent example of working with media, it was on Thursday, uh, so very recent. Um, so I've been contacted by this journalist um, who wrote on the website of Interaction and uh, she said, oh, I'm doing this article for um, on intersex and I wanted to interview you or do you have time? I said, yeah. Uh, so she's calling me and uh, she's like, so I've talked with this doctor, this doctor, this doctor, and now I think I have like the knowledge. Could you please tell me what variations do you have? Could you please tell me when you were operated? Could you please tell me how you looked like? Uh, <laughs> and I was like, do you, are, are you looking for someone to testimony or what? And she was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I have the knowledge of the doctors and I want to have like someone so that people could identify with. <laughs> So I didn't really answer like this. And uh, I'm, I'm doing this game, which I had to play a few times lately, is that they ask me a question, what's your variation? And then I start talking, not answering this question whatsoever, and just say all the human rights violations that are happening on our bodies and why it's not adequate to ask this question, and why we're not sick, and blah, 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 blah. 
And then the journalist at the beginning, uh, they're usually still a bit like trying to get some information they wanted. And then they're like, oh, oh, okay. And, <laughs> and at the end they're like, okay, I think I have to reframe my article. <laughs> and I think this is really a big problem in the media and representation in general, is that they are showing intersex people as these victims, these freaks, these people with some kind of weird bodies, weird experiences, who have weird sex organs, and then they have the doctors who uh, operate on them, or don't, or talk about it in a very medicalized, pathologizing way, and it's not addressing the question of human rights issues, it's not addressing um, really the core issue of, of our existences, and that's a big issue, and I think, um, at least in Switzerland, we see a little bit of a bettering on how the journalist starts to talk about intersex issues, but we still have these uh, journalists like on Thursday. And, um, and then we also see, I think, invisibility through social media and things like this, an increase of visibility of younger people who are uh, actively engaging by themselves to increase the visibility, for example, through YouTube channels or uh, Instagram or I don't know, things like this. Um, and so they can really say what's important to them and making it in a more non-pathologizing human rights based way. And I think that's positive, but it's not uh, touching everyone. And yeah, and also often they frame the articles, they want to be neutral. So they frame, they show you and your story and uh, human rights things, and then they interview a doctor who says one sentence, we don't do this anymore. And ta-da, your article is shit, because then they, uh, because people will only believe the doctor because the doctor has uh, a white coat on, and you are just like a patient, or an old patient. I don't know if you want to say something. Yeah, I think um, the idea of having like this neutral positioning of on this side there's the experts, on this side are these patients, um, or these um, victims. Um, with intersex, that doesn't work. You know, I think even if you do research on intersex, you have to position yourself. You're either understanding what human rights mean, or you're not on our side, basically. Because intersex is still pathologized, it's still happening in most countries in the world, that, that um, minors and babies and, and children are being operated on, have medical treatments that, that uh, just try to eradicate um, the variations we are born with. Um, <clears throat> and, and so I think uh, that's, a, that's, that's a very difficult thing with media because it's a very high-level high entry, I think, for um, a journalist to understand the issue and to me, it's, it's often they're very lazy. They, they just want to have like a quick um, um, story about this. Um, and interestingly, interestingly, also when um, 2013, maybe you all uh, know that, that um, Germany introduced um, um, the blank gender marker. And that was, that was in the media blown up as the, the, thir the third sex in Germany um, internationally. And, and they thought, okay, this is something that must be about intersex, and 
but they didn't quite grasp what intersex is about. So, so yeah, it's, it's really difficult for us to then educate and basically we often have to then, to, maybe together with the journalist, if they're willing to, <laughs> to rewrite or co-write uh, these articles or, yeah, so. Yeah, I think just echoing what's already been said, um, I think my troubles with visibility is oftentimes um, that I feel like people are mixing up actually giving a voice to people, a group of people, or just exploiting their stories. I think it's two very different things, and oftentimes it's being mixed up, and it's being like, oh, you wish for visibility, I wrote something about you that you go, and that's, and that's not the thing, yeah? And um, yeah, so what I wish for is a lot of content by intersex people, or at least with them being involved in the production whatsoever. I think a lot of like DIY formats like um, videos people make themselves or articles actually that people themselves write or movies where people themselves can um, talk about their stories um, is for sure one big step. And um, the other thing is, as you've just been mentioning, the third gender marker or now fourth um, option <laughs> actually. Um, sometimes I feel like there's a bit of a hype, um, media kind of hype um, on certain topics. Um, but they can be very specific in what they then tell and what they don't tell. No, and oftentimes I feel like um, they very much like to concentrate on like the dramatic stories or things that just um, read well whatsoever, but not so much on actually the important, like you've been saying, structures, all of the human rights violations that are happening. Um, that's not being part when, for once, there's a big like um, front page article about something that could actually be open up so many important topics and then it doesn't because it just stays with that kind of like um, gender market topic um, that has such a big red tail on topics behind it that's not going to be mentioned. Um, so you mentioned uh, the so-called third sex that's uh, mentioned like that in the media. Do you want to tell, for the people who are not quite familiar with this law in Germany, um, do, could you tell people a little bit about how that works and why that has been criticized as well. <laughs> or is it too complicated? <laughs> I think I would like to use it as an entrance to, um, to connect the topics. And um, mm -hmm. so I think to um, sum it up quite quickly, please correct me. Um, there's actually four options now, which is like blank gender marker, um, female, male, and one that says diverse in the birth certificate and an X um, in the passport. And um, yeah, the troubles with that is that it's still pathologizing. It's still not um, like people cannot define it for themselves. How would it like to? But still, um, medical authority has to write a note that there's a variation in sex characteristics. So, um, yeah, it's still no um, self-determined option that is there. And, yeah, I think what oftentimes in the discussion around this is also not um, being mentioned enough is that it's also like the wish for this um, kind of representation, legal representation was always closely tied to a wish for a ban and a stop on medical interventions and intersex bodies. So I think that's really, really closely connected. Um, and jumping over to that topic, there has been 
a um, ban on that kind of interventions has been drafted by the ministry just recently, like a few weeks, months ago, and multiple organizations have been asked to give their comment on it. You can um, read them online, I think, right now already, or soon they're also going to be on the website of the ministry for justice and something else. Um, and I think that's actually, even though I, I think a ban can be a big step, but I don't think a ban actually equals a stop. So I think for sure we have to be talking about these topics, um, thinking beyond law, because many things happen that do not, um, or should not be happening regarding to law, and law doesn't mean justice, no? Um, and therefore I think um, it can only come within the framework of like widespread educational work, um, with widespread support, also financial support for intersex organizations who do and also can do the work. And I think with that combination of different things, um, we can be in a good way for um, things to actually change. That is all for our podcast today, my friends, but the festival is still going on, so head over, head over to Bufa. It's our final evening in Templehof. Get in your car, hop on the U-Bahn, bicycle, you have options, and or come out tomorrow night to Babylon for our grand finale of screenings. Do not miss it. BFFW 2020. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. See you tomorrow.